Hi everyone, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, Chapter 17 Robin Hood Turns Beggar. Not Barefoot Beggar, not Poor Little Beggar or something, because there's the Barefoot Friar. Not quite parallel. <clears throat> After Jolly Robin had left Little John at the forking of the roads, he walked merrily onward in the mellow sunshine that shone about him. Ever and anon he would s there's that ever and anon again. He would skip and leap or sing a snatch of song for pure joyousness of the day, for because of the sweetness of the springtide, his heart was as lusty within him as that of a colt newly turned out to grass. Sometimes he would walk a long distance, gazing aloft at the great white swelling clouds that moved slowly across the deep blue sky. Anon he would stop and drink in the fullness of life of all things, um, for the hedgerows were budding tenderly, and the grass of the meadows was waxing long and green. Again he would stand still and listen to the pretty song of the little birds in the thickets, or hearken to the clear crow of cock uh, daring the sky to rain, whereat he would laugh, for it took but little to tickle Robin's heart into merriment. <clears throat> Remember that? Uh, oh, nope, not the ever. I'm not. Uh, sometimes he would walk a long distance, went all the way to merriment, <laughs> like a third of this paragraph. It was I mean, it's a long paragraph, so a third of a paragraph is reasonable for a normal sentence. This is a long paragraph. So he trudged manfully, <laughs> okay, manfully along, ever willing to stop for this reason or for that, and ever ready to chat with such Larry, La Larry, Mary lasses, I almost said Larry masses, uh, Mary lasses as he met now and then. So the morning slipped along, and yet he met no beggar with whom he could change clothes. Quoth he, if I do not change my luck in haste, I am like to have an empty day of it. Uh, for it is well nigh half gone already, and although I have had a merry walk through the countryside, I know not of a beggar's life. It's not an O-U-G-H-T, like I know nothing, Jon Snow, um, of a beggar's life. Then after a while he began to grow hungry, whereupon his mind turned from thoughts of springtime and flowers and birds, and dwelt upon boiled capons, malmsey, white bread, and the like, with great tenderness. Quoth he to himself, I... Uh, I would I had that that's ha like not I would have had I would I had Willie Winkins wishing coat I know it must be some book tale or something I know right well what I should wish for and this it should be uh, here he marked upon the fingers of his left hand with the forefinger of his right those things which he wished for Firstly, I would have a sweet brown pie of tender larks, marky, not dry cooked, but with a good sop of gravy to moisten it withal. Next, I would have a dry, er, have a pretty pullet, fairly boiled in tender pigeons, or er, with tender pigeons' eggs, cunningly sliced, garnishing the butter around. With these, I would um, have a long, slim loaf of wheaten bread that hath been baked upon the hearth. It should be warm from the fire with glossy brown crust, the color of of the hair of mine own maid Marion. Has she been mentioned before? I don't remember if she's been mentioned before. And this same crust should be as crisp and brittle as the thin white ice that lies across the furrows in the early winter's morning. 
uh, these will do uh, for the more solid things. But with these, I must have three potties, fat and round, one full of Malmsey, one full of, or one of Canary, and one brimming full of mine own dear lusty sack. Thus spoke Robin to himself, his mouth growing moist at the corners with the thoughts of the good things he had raised in his own mind. There's a YouTube channel called Binging with Babish where um, the guy makes food from TV and movies. I feel like he should make food from books. He could totally have a heyday with the Redwall series. I remember Redwall having lots of descriptions of food. Harry Potter would also be good. And here we go, Robin Hood. <laughs> so talking to himself, he came here, or er, he came to where the dusty road turned sharply around the ledge, or the hedge, all tender. I guess um, Harry Potter has movies too, but Redwall. Well, I don't know if Redwall has movies. Oh, I haven't seen one, but there might be like a cartoon or something. For some reason, I'm picturing the Hobbit cartoon, which, of course, is not Redwall, but whatever. Uh, so, talking to himself, he came to where the dusty road turned sharply around the hedge, all tender with the green of, of the coming leaf. And there he saw before him a stout fellow sitting upon a stile, swinging his legs in idleness. All about this lusty rogue dangled divers' pouches, um and bags of different sizes and kinds, a dozen or more, with great wide gaping mouths like a brood of hungry daws. His coat was gathered in at his waist, and was patched with as many colors as there are stripes upon a maypole in the springtide. Um, on his head he wore a great tall leathern cap, and across his knees rested a stout quarterstaff of blackthorn, full as long and heavy as Robin's. As jolly a beggar was he as ever trod the lanes and byways of Nottinghamshire, for his eyes were as gray as slate, and snapped and twinkled and danced with merriment, and his black hair curled close all over his head in little rings of kinkiness. He has curly hair. Tight curly hair. Hello, a good fellow, quoth Robin, when he had come nigh to the other. What art thou doing here this merry day, when the flowers are peeping and the buds are swelling? Then the other winked one eye and straightway trolled forth in a merry voice. I sit upon the stile, he's singing, I sit upon the stile, and I sing a little while as I wait for my own true dear, oh, for the sun is shining bright and the leaves are dancing light and the little fowl uh, sings she is near, oh. So it's like, little fowl sings she is near, oh. Da, 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 da. Something like that. And so it is with me, bully boy, saving that my doxy cometh not. Now that is a right sweet song, quoth Robin, and were I in the right mind to listen to thee, I could bear well to hear more. But I have two things of seriousness, seriousness to ask of thee, so listen, I pray thee. At this the jolly beggar cocked his head on one side like a rogue of a magpie. Quoth he, I am an ill jug to pour heavy things into, good friend, and if I mistake not, thou hast few serious words to spare at any time. Nay, quoth Jolly Robin, what I would say first is the most serious of all thoughts to me, to wit. Where shall I get somewhat to eat and drink? Sayest thou so, quoth the beggar? Mary, I make no such serious thoughts upon the matter. I eat when I can get it, and munch my crust when I can get no crumb. Likewise, when there is no ale to be had, I wash the dust out from my throat with a trickle of cold water. 
I was sitting here, as thou camest upon me, bethinking myself whether I should break my fast or no. I do love to let my hunger grow mightily keen ere I eat, for when, or for then a dry crust is as good to me as a venison pasty with suet and raisins is to stout King Harry. I have a sharp hunger upon me now, but methinks in a short while it will ripen to a right mellow appetite. It's a it's a good attitude to have. The longer I wait, the sweeter it will be, no matter what I have. <sighs> now in good sooth, quoth Mary Robin, laughing, thou hast a great tongue betwixt thy teeth, but hast thou truly not but a dry crust about thee? Methinks thy bags and pouches are fat and lusty for such thin fare. "'Why, mayhap there is some other cold fare therein,' said the beggar slyly. "'And hast thou not to drink but cold water?' said Robin. "'Never so much as a drop,' quoth the beggar. "'Over beyond yon clump of trees is, is as sweet a little inn as ever thou hast uh, lifted eyelid upon. "'But I go not thither, for they have a nasty way with me.' Once, when the good uh, prior of Emmet was dining there, the landlady set a dear little tart of stewed crabs and barley sugar upon the window's sill to cool, and seeing it there, and fearing it might be lost, I took it with me till I could find the owner thereof. <laughs> Ever since then they have acted very ill toward me, yet truth bids me uh, say that they have the best ale there that ever rolled over my tongue. At this Robin laughed aloud. Mary, quoth he, they did ill toward thee for thy kindness. But tell me truly, what hast thou in thy pouches? Why, quoth the beggar, uh, peeping into the mouth of the bag, of his bags, I find here a goodly piece of pigeon pie, wrapped in a cabbage leaf to hold the gravy. Um, here I behold a dainty streaked a piece of brawn. Not sure what that is. And here a fair lump of white bread. Let me see if brawn is a specific thing. Or or used to be a specific thing. Meat from a pig's or calf's head that is cooked and pressed in a pot with jelly. Oh, I've heard of that. I've heard a different word for it, but I can't think of what it is. Head cheese, I think. That That's what I want to say. <sighs> Here I find four oaten cakes, oaten, like cakes made of oats, and a cold knuckle of ham. Ha, in sooth, tis strange, but here I behold six eggs that must have come by accident from some poultry yard hereabouts. They, they are raw, but roasted upon the coals and spread with a piece of butter that I see. Peace, good friend, cried Robin, holding up his hand. Thou makest my poor stomach quake for, quake with joy for what thou tellest me so sweetly. If thou wilt give me to eat, I will straightway hie to me that, uh, to that little inn thou didst tell of but now, and will bring a skin of ale for thy drinking and mine. Friend, thou hast said enough, said the beggar. Getting down from the stile, I will feast thee with the best that I have, and bless St. Cedric for thy company. But, sweet Chuck, I pray thee, bring three quarts of ale at least, one for my drinking and or one for thy drinking and two for mine, for my thirst is such that methinks I can drink ale as the sands of the river D drink salt water. So Robin straightway left the beggar, who, upon his part, went to a budding lime bush back of the head. A lime in England, okay. <laughs> Usually citrus you think of as being a more tropical fruit um back of the hedge and there spread his feast upon the grass and roasted his eggs upon uh, a little faggot fire 
with a deafness deftness gained by long labor in that line. I know I've mentioned that word before, the faggot, the, the like sticks, a bundle of sticks, like, as I believe I've mentioned before, on the cover of Led Zeppelin 4. And that's as much as I'll talk because I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before. <laughs> After a while back uh, came Robin bearing a goodly skin of ale upon his shoulder, which he laid upon the grass. Then, looking upon the feast spread upon the ground, and uh, a fair sight it was to look upon, he slowly rubbed his hand over his stomach, for to his hungry eyes it seemed the fairest sight that he had beheld in all his life. Friend, said the beggar, let me feel the weight of that skin. Yea, truly, quoth Robin, help thyself, sweet Chuck, and meantime let me see whether thy pigeon pie is fresh or no. So the one seized upon the ale and the other upon the pigeon pie, and nothing was... <laughs> And nothing was heard for a while but the munching of food and the gurgle of ale as it, as it left the skin. At last, after a long time it had passed thus, Robin pushed the food from him and heaved a great sigh of deep content, for he felt as though he had been made all over anew. And now, good friend, quoth he, leaning upon one elbow, I would have at thee about the other matter of seriousness of which I spoke not long since. How, said the beggar reproachfully, thou wouldst surely not talk of things appertaining to serious affairs upon such ale as this. Nay, quoth Robin, laughing, I would not check thy thirst, sweet friend. Drink while I talk to thee. Thus it is. I would have thee know that I have taken a liking to thy craft, and would fain have a taste of a beggar's life mine own self. Said the beggar, I marvel not that thou hast taken a liking to my manner of life, good fellow, but quote, to like, and quote, to do, I'm doing air quotes as I say this, not that that's helpful to you, are two matters of different sorts. I tell thee, friend, one must serve a long apprenticeship ere one can learn to be even so much as a clapper dungeon. Okay. Oh, clapper dungeon, not dungeon. D-U-D-G-E-O-N. Uh, much less a crank or an Abraham man. <laughs> um... Interestingly, there's a footnote on this one. Uh, classes of traveling uh, mendicants that infested England as late as the middle of the 17th century. Okay. Um, yeah, just, yeah. Vagabonds, hobos, homeless people, um, carpetbaggers, I don't know. <laughs> various ways of describing many of which probably derogatory anyway i tell thee lad thou art too old to enter upon that which it may take thee years to catch the hang of mayhap it may be so quoth robin for i bring to mind that gaffer swanthold always mentioned saith jack shoemaker uh, maketh ill bread tom baker maketh ill soon shoon uh, nevertheless, I have a mind to taste a beggar's life, and need but the clothing to be as good as any. I tell thee, fellow, said the beggar, if thou wert clad as sweetly as good St. Winton, W-Y-N-T-E-N, good St. Winton, the patron of our craft, didn't know there was a patron saint of beggars, um, thou wouldst never make a beggar. Mary, the first jolly traveler that thou wouldst meet, would beat thee to a pudding for thrusting thy nose into a 
craft that belongeth not to thee. Nevertheless, quoth Robin, I would have a try at it, and methinks I shall change clothes with thee, for thy garb seemeth to be pretty, not to say gay. Um, so not only will I change clothes, but I will give thee two golden angels to boot. I have brought my stout staff with me, thinking that I might have to wrap someone of the brethren of thy cloth over the head by way of argument in this matter, but I love thee so much for the feast thou ha hast given me that I would not lift even my little finger against thee. So thou needst, need, uh, needst, not needest, I almost repeat, I almost corrected myself with needest, but it doesn't say needest, it says needst, uh, not have a crumb of fear. To this the beggar listened, and his knuckles rest, with his knuckles resting against his hips, and when Robin had ended, he cocked his head on one side and thrust his tongue into his cheek. Literal tongue in cheek. Mary, come up, quoth he at last, lift thy finger against me forsooth. Art thou out of thy wits, man? My name is Riken Hazel, and I come from Holywell in Flintshire over by the River Dee. I tell thee, knave, I have cracked the head of many a better man than thou art, and even now I would scald thy crown for thee but for the ale thou hast given me. Now thou shalt not have so much as one tag-rag of my coat, um, even could it save thee from hanging." Now, fellow, um, it would ill suit me to spoil thy pretty head for thee, but I tell thee plainly that but for this feast I would do that to thee would stop thy traveling the country for many a day to come. Keep thy... The, the, the things I would do to you if I didn't like you would make you unable to be a beggar. Yeah. Keep thy lips shut, lad, or thy luck will tumble out of thy mouth with thy speech. Now out, and alas for thee, man, for thou hast bred thyself ill this day. Ooh, he could just say, hey, dude, I'm Robin Hood. He doesn't do that very much, <laughs> cried the beggar, rising and taking up his staff. Uh, take up thy club and defend thyself, fellow, for I will not only beat thee, but I will take from thee thy money and leave thee not so much as a clipped groat to buy thyself a lump of goose grease to rub thy cracked crown withal. So defend thyself, I say. Then up leaped, leapt, leaped, Mary Robin, and snatches up his staff also. Take my money, if thou canst, quoth he. Sorry. Take my money, if thou canst, quoth he. I promise freely to give thee every farthing, if thou dost touch me. And he twirled his staff in his fingers till it whistled again. Then the beggar swung his staff also, and struck a mighty blow at Robin, which the yeoman turned. Three blows the beggar struck, yet never one touched so much as a hair on Robin's head. Then stout Robin saw his chance, and, ere you could count to three, Rikon's staff Rickon? Is it like Rickon Stark? I don't know. Rikon? I'll say Rickon, if I remember. Uh, Rickon's staff was over the hedge. <laughs> Picturing a raccoon. The animated, I think it's DreamWorks movie, Over the Hedge. And Rickon himself lay upon the green grass with no more motion than you could find in an empty pudding bag. Ooh. How now, quoth Mary Robin, laughing, wilt thou have my hide or my money, sweet Chuck? But to this the other answered never a word. Then Robin, seeing his plight, and that he was stunned with the blow, ran, still laughing, and brought the skin of ale and poured some of it into the on the beggar's head, I almost said in, on the beggar's head, and some down his throat. There we go. So that presently he opened his eyes and looked around as though wondering why he lay upon his back. Then Robin, seeing that he 
had somewhat gathered his wits that had just been wrapped out of his head said now good fellow wilt thou change clothes with me or shall i get have to tap thee again here are two golden angels if thou wilt give me freely all thy rags and bags and thy cap and things if thou givest them not freely i much fear i shall have to then it ends with a dash and he looked up and down his staff then Rickon sat up and rubbed the bump on his crown. Now out upon it, quoth he, I did think to drub thee sweetly, fellow. I know not how it is, but I seem, as it were, to have bought more beer than I can drink. If I must give up my clothes, I must, but first promise me, by thy word as a tr true yeoman, that thou wilt take naught from me but my clothes. I promise on the word of a true yeoman, uh, quoth Robin, thinking that the fellow had a few pennies that he would save. Thereupon the beggar drew a little knife that hung at his side, and, ripping up the lining of his coat, drew thence ten bright golden, uh, golden pounds, which he laid upon the ground beside him uh, with a cunning wink at Robin. Now, now thou mayest have my clothes and welcome, said he. Thou, thou mightest have had them in exchange for thine without the cost of a single farthing, far less two golden angels. Mary, quoth Robin, laughing, thou art a sly fellow, and I tell thee truly, had I known thou hadst so much money and er, by thee, maybe thou mightst not have carried it away, for I warrant thou didst not come honestly by it. Then each stripped off his clothes and put on those of the other. Good thing they're about the same size, I guess. Little John certainly couldn't do this. And as lusty a beggar was Robin Hood as e'er you could find um, of a summer's day. But stout Rickon of Hunt Holywell skipped and leaped and danced for joy of the fair suit of Lincoln Green that he had so gotten. How does how do people not know that this is Robin Hood? Lincoln Green, come on. Quoth he, I'm a gay feathered bird now. <laughs> Truly, my dear Mole Peace God, uh, okay, um, would never know me in this dress. Thou mayest keep the the cold pieces of the feast, friend, for I mean to live well and lustily while my money lasts and my clothes are gay. So he turned and left Robin, and, crossing the stile, was gone, but Robin heard him singing from beyond the hedge as he strode away, for Polly is smiling and Molly is glad when the beggar comes in at the door, and Jack and Dick call him a fine lusty lad, and the hostess runs up a great score. Then, hey, Willie Waddykin, stay, Billy Waddykin, and let the brown ale flow free, flow free, the beggar's the man for me. Robin listened till the end of the song and er, till the song ended in the distance. Then he also crossed the stile into the road, but turned his toes away from where the beggar had gone. The road led up a gentle hill, and up the hill Robin walked. A half score or more of bags dangling around er, dangling about his legs. Onward he strolled for a long time, but other adventure he found not. The road was bare of all else but himself, as he went kicking up little clouds of dust at each footstep, for it was noontide, the most peaceful time of all the day, next to twilight. All the because people are eating, I presume. All the earth was silent, and the restfulness of eating time. Eating time. Yep. The plow horses stood in the furrow, munching with great bags over their noses, holding sweet food. The plowmen sat under the hedge, and the plow boy also, and they too were munching, each one holding a great piece of bread in one fist and a great piece of cheese in the other. So Robin, with all the empty road to himself, strode along whistling merrily, his bags and pouches bob 
uh, bobbing and dangling at his thighs. At last he came to where a little grass-grown path left the road, and, passing through a stile and down a hill, led into a little dell and on across a rill in the valley and up the hill on the other side, till it reached a windmill that stood on the cap of the rise, where the wind bent the trees in swaying motion. Robin looked at the spot and liked it, and, for no reason but that his fancy led him, he took the little path and walked down the gra- hope he can find his way home and wa- walked down the grassy sunny slope of the open meadow and so came to the little dingle and ere he knew it upon four lusty fellows like before he knew it upon four lusty fellows that sat with legs outstretched around a goodly feast spread upon the ground four merry beggars were they and each had slung about his neck a little board that rested upon his breast. One board had written upon it, I am blind, another I am deaf, another I am dumb, and the fourth pity the lame one. But although all these troubles written upon the board seemed so grievous, the four stout fellows sat, um, sorry, sat around feasting as merrily as though Cain's wife had never opened the pottle that held misfortunes and let them forth like a cloud of flies to pester us. I wonder if Cain's wife is uh, Pandora in another story, because it kind of sounds like it. Um, the deaf man was the first to hear Robin, for he said, Hark, brothers, I hear someone coming. And the blind man was the first to see him, for he said, He is an honest man, brothers, and one of one of like craft to ourselves. Then the dumb man called to him with a great voice and said, Welcome, brother. Come and sit while there is still some of the feast left and a little momsy in the pottle. At this, the man, the lame man who had taken off his wooden leg and um, unstrapped his own leg was sitting with it stretched out upon the grass so as to rest it, made room for Robin among them. We are glad to see thee, brother. And he, holding out the flask of momsy, <laughs> Ah. Mary quoth Robin, laughing and weighing uh, the flask in his hands ere he drank. Methinks it is no more than seemly of all um, of you all to be glad to see me, seeing that I uh, bring sight to the blind, speech to the dumb, hearing to the deaf, and such a lusty leg to a lame man. I drink to your happiness, brothers, as I may not drink to your health, seeing ye are already er, are already hale wind and limb wind and limb maybe probably wind and limb they're doing all right health-wise <laughs> at this all grinned and the blind beggar who is the chief uh, man among them and was the broadest shouldered and most lusty rascal of all smote robin upon the shoulder swearing he was a right merry wag uh, whence comest thou lad asked the dumb man <laughs> Why, quoth Robin, I came this morning from sleeping overnight in Sherwood. Is it even so, said the deaf man? I would not for all the money we four are carrying to Lincoln Town sleep one night in Sherwood. If Robin Hood caught uh, one of our trade in his woodlands, he would, methinks, clip his ears. Methinks he would, too, quoth Robin, laughing. But what money is this that ye speak of? Then up spake the lame, the lame man, our king, Peter of York, said he hath sent us to Lincoln with those monies that stay, Brother Hodge, quoth the blind man, breaking in, um, into the talk. I would not doubt our brother here, but bear in mind we know him not. What art thou, brother? Upright man, jerk man, J-U-R-K-M-A-N, clapper dungeon, or dudgeon, okay, another one. 
um, Domerer or Abraham man. Well, there we go. Apparently they're all specific things. At these words, Robin uh, looked up from one man to the other with mouth agape. Truly, quoth he, I trust I am an upright man, at least I strive to be, but I know not what thou meanst by such jargon, brother. It were much more seemly, methinks, if yon dumb man who hath a sweet voice would give us a song. At these words a silence fell on all, and after a while the blind man spoke again. Quoth he, Thou dost surely jest when they... When thou sayest that thou dost not understand such words, answer me this: Hast thou ever fibbed a chouse quarrens in the Rome pad for the lure in this bung? Another footnote, i.e., an old beggar's cant, beaten a man or gallant upon the highway for the money in his purse. They're highwaymen, apparently, um, and that is a really weird jargon thing. Now out upon it, quoth Robin testily, and ye make sport of me by pattering such gibberish. That's why Robin Hood wouldn't like them in Sherwood, I guess. It will be ill for you all, I tell you. I have the best part of mine to crack the heads of all four of you, and would do so too, uh, but for the sweet momsy ye have given me. Brother, pass the pottle lest it grow cold. But all the four beggars leaped, leapt to their feet when Robin had had done speaking, that's how it says it, and the blind man snatched up a heavy knotted cudgel that lay beside him on the grass, as did the others likewise. Then Robin, seeing that things were like to go ill with him, albeit he knew not what all the coil was about, leapt to his feet also, and, catching up his trusty staff, clapped his back against the tree and stood upon his guard against them. How now, cried he, twirling his staff betwixt his fingers, would ye four, start, er, four stout fellows set up upon one man? Stand back, ye rascals, or I will score your pates till they have um, as many marks upon them as a pothouse door. Are ye mad? I have done you no harm. Thou liest, quoth the one who pretended to be blind, and who, being the lustiest villain, was the leader of the others. Thou liest, for thou hast come among us as a vile spy. But thine ears have heard too much for thy body's good, and thou goest not forth from this place unless thou goest feet foremost. For this day thou shalt die. Come, brothers, all together, down with him. Then, whirling up his cudgel, he rushed upon Robin as an angry bull rushes upon a red rag, but Robin was ready for any happening. Crick, crack, he struck two blows as quick as a wink, and down went the blind man, rolling over and over upon the grass. At this the others bore back and stood at a little distance, scowling upon Robin. Come on, ye scum, cried he merrily. Here be cakes and ale for all. Now who will be next served? To this speech the beggars never answered a word, but they looked at Robin as great blunderbore, that's capitalized, proper case, looked upon stout Jack, the slayer of giants. Oh, maybe it's a name for the giant and Jack and the Beanstalk, maybe? Um, as though they would fain eat him, body and bones. Nevertheless, they did not care to come nigher, nigher, N-I-G-H-E-R, nigher to him and his terrible staff. Then, seeing them so hesitate, Robin of a sudden leaped upon them, striking even as he leaped. Leapt. I don't know. Down went the dumb man, and away flew his cudgel from his hand as he fell. At this the others ducked to avoid another blow, then, taking to their heels, scampered. The one away, and the other... Er, the one one way, and the other the other. As though they had the west wind's boots upon their feet. 
Robin looked after them, laughing, and thought that never had he seen so fleet a runner as the lame man. But neither of the beggars stopped nor turned cudgel, or stopped nor turned around, for each felt in his mind the wind of Robin's cudgel about his ears. Then Robin turned to the two stout knaves lying upon the ground. Quoth he, These fellows spake somewhat about certain monies they were taking to Lincoln. Methinks I may find it upon this stout blind fellow, who hath as keen of... Um, who hath as keen sight as e'er a trained woodsman in Nottingham or Yorkshire. It were a pity to let sound money stay in the pockets of such thieving knaves. So saying, he stooped over the burly rascal and searched among his rags and tatters, till presently his fingers felt a leathern pouch slung around his his body beneath his patched and tattered coat. This he stripped away, and, weighing it in his hands, bethought himself that it was mighty heavy. It were a sweet thing, said he to himself, if this were filled with gold instead of copper pence. Then, sitting down upon the grass, he opened the pocket and looked into it. There he found four rolls, four roll, round rolls, wrapped up in dressed sheepskin. One of these rolls he opened, and his mouth gaped, and his eyes started, I wot, um, as though they would never close again, for what did he see but fifty pounds of bright golden money? Um, he opened the other pockets and found in each one the same, fifty bright new stamped golden pounds. Quoth Robin, I have oft heard that the beggar's guild was over rich, but never did I think that they sent such sums as this to their treasury. I shall take it with me, for it will be better used for charity and the good of my merry band than in the enriching of such knaves as these. So saying, he rolled up the money in the sheepskin again, and putting it back in the purse, he thrust the pouch into his own bosom. Then, taking up the flask of Malmsey, he held it toward the two fellows lying on the grass, and quoth he, Sweet friends, I drink your health and thank you dearly for what ye have so kindly given me this day, and I wish you good den. Then, taking up his staff, he left the spot and went merrily on his way. But when the two stout beggars that had been wrapped upon the head roused themselves and sat up, and when the others had gotten over their fright and come back, they were as sad and woebegone. <laughs> oh, Garrison Keeler. Woebegone as four frogs in dry weather, for two of them had cracked crowns, their momsy was all gone, and they had not so much as a farthing to cross their palms withal. But after Robin left the little dell, he strode along merrily, singing as he went. And so blithe was he, and such a stout beggar, and withal so fresh and clean, that every merry lass he met had a sweet word for him and felt no fear. While the very dogs, uh, that most times hate the sight of a beggar, uh, snuffed at his legs in friendly wise and wagged their tails pleasantly. For dogs know an honest man by his smell, and an honest man Robin was, in his own way. So, I'm wondering... Um, Part of the Merry Men's salary is their clothing. I can't remember how many outfits, but I wonder if Robin is going to grant himself extra clothes for this year, or if he considers himself out for this one. I can't remember how many, but, you know, two two outfits of Lincoln Green or whatever. Thus he went along till at last he had come to the Wayside Cross, nigh o Olerton, Olerton, and being somewhat tired, he sat him down to rest upon the grassy bank in front of it. It groweth nigh time, uh, quoth he to himself, that I were getting back again to Sherwood. Yet it would please me well to have one more merry adventure ere I go back again to my jolly band. So he looked up the road and down the road to see 
who might come, until at last he saw someone drawing near, riding upon a horse. When the traveler came nigh enough for him to see him well, Robin laughed, for a strange enough figure he cut. He was a thin, wizened man, and to look upon him, you could not tell whether he was thirty years old or sixty, so dried up was he even to skin and bone. As for the nag, it was as thin as the rider, and both looked as though they had been baked in Mother Huddle's oven, okay, where folk are dried up so that they live forever. Must be another folktale. But although Robin cried, er, laughed at the droll, I don't know where cried came from, but although Robin laughed at the droll sight, he knew the wayfarer to be a certain rich corn engrosser of workshop, or worksup, a town name, worksup, um, W-O-R-K-S-O-P, who more than once had bought all the grain in the countryside and held it, um, till it reached even famine prices, thus making much money from the needs of poor people. Ah. And for this he was hated far and near by everyone who knew aught of him. So, after a while, the corn engrosser, <laughs> that, that's now c capitalized, corn engrosser, the corn engrosser came uh, riding up to where Robin sat. Well, not all caps, but, you know, proper case. Whereupon Mary Robin stepped straightway forth, in all his rags and tatters, his bags and pouches dangling about him, and laid his hand upon the horse's bridle rein, calling upon the other to stop. Who art thou, fellow, that doth dare to stop me thus upon the king's highway? said the lean man in a dry, sour voice. Pity a poor beggar, quoth Robin, give me but a farthing to buy me a piece of bread. Now out upon thee, snarled the other. Such sturdy rogues as thou art are better safe in the in the prisons, or dancing upon nothing where, er, with a hempen collar about the neck, uh, than strolling the highways so freely. Um, in case you missed it, uh, dancing upon nothing with a hempen collar uh, means a noose around his neck and hanging from a tree. Tut, quoth Robin, how thou, how thou talkest, thou and I are brothers, man. Do we not both take from the poor people that um, that which they can ill spare? Do we not make our livings by doing not of any good? Do we not both live without touching palm to honest work? Have we either of us ever rubbed thumbs over honestly gained farthings? Go to. Go to? I, I'm not sure how to say that sentence. We are brothers, I say. Only thou art rich and I am poor. Wherefore, I pray thee once more, give me a penny. You should say, you are better at it than I am. <laughs> Uh, dost thou prate me er, prate so to me, sirrah? cried the corn engrosser in a rage. Now I will have thee soundly whipped if I ever catch thee in any town where the law can lay hold of thee. As for giving thee a penny, I swear to thee that I have not so much as a single groat in my purse. That must be a very common phrase, something about a groat, a single groat, because a lot of people have said that in this book. A couple in this chapter. <sighs> Maybe it's only been three times and I'm just blowing it out of proportion, but where Robin Hood or were Robin Hood himself to take me, uh, he might search me from crown to heel without finding the smallest piece of money upon me. I trust I am too sly with travels so nigh to Sherwood with money in my pouch um, and that thief at large in the woods. I'm afraid of Robin Hood, so I don't have my money on me. He says to Robin Hood. Then Mary Robin Hood, or then Mary Robin looked him up and down as if to see that there was no one nigh. Um, and then coming close to the corn engrosser, 
He stood on tiptoe and spake in his ear, Thinkest thou in sooth that I am a beggar, as I seem to be? Look upon me. There is not a grain of dirt upon my hands, or my face, or my body. Didst thou ever see a beggar so? I tell thee, I am as honest a man as thou art. Look, friend. Here he took the purse of money from his breast, and showed to the dazzled eyes of the corn and grocer the bright golden, the bright golden pieces. Friend, these rags are, serve but to hide an honest rich man from the eyes of Robin Hood. Good idea. Um, I mean, good idea to, you know, trick him, make, uh, make him trust you. Put up thy money, lad, cried the other quickly. Art thou a fool to trust a beggar's rags to shield thee from Robin Hood? If he caught thee, he would strip thee to the skin, for he hates a lusty beggar as he doth a, f um, as he doth a fat priest or those of my kind. Is it indeed so, quoth Robin? Had I known this, mayhap I had not come hereabouts in this garb. But I must go forward now, as much depends on my journeying. Where uh, where goest thou, friend? I go to Grantham, said the corn and grocer. But I shall lodge to-night at Newark, if I can get so far upon my way. Why, I myself am on the way to Newark, quoth Mary Robin, so that as two honest men are better than one in roads beset by such a fellow as this Robin Hood, I will jog along with thee, if thou hast no dislike to my company. Why, as thou art an honest fellow and a rich fellow, <laughs> equating the two, said the corn and grocer, I mind not thy company, but in sooth I have no great fondness for beggars. Then forward, quoth Robin, for the day wanes, and it will be dark ere we reach Newark. So off they went, the lean horse hobbling along as before, and Robin running beside, albeit he was so quaking with laughter within him that he could hardly stand. Yet he dared not laugh aloud, lest the corn and grocer should suspect something. So they traveled along till they reached a hill just on the outskirts of Sherwood. Here the lean man checked his lean horse into a walk, for the road was steep and he wished to save his nag's strength, having far to go ere he would reached Newark. Then he turned in his saddle and spake to Robin again, for the first time since they had left the cross. Here is thy greatest danger, friend, said he, uh, for here we are nighest to that vile thief Robin Hood, in the place where he dwells. Beyond this we come again to the open honest country, and so are more safe in our journeying. Alas, quoth Robin, I would that I had as little money by me as thou hast, for this day I fear that Robin Hood will get um, every groat of my wealth groat again. Then the other looked at Robin and winked cut cunningly. Quoth he, I tell thee, friend, that I have nigh as much by me as thou hast, but it is hidden so that never a knave in Sherwood could find it. On his horse, maybe? Thou dost sure Th surely jest, quoth Robin. How could one hide so much as two hundred pounds upon his person? Now, as thou art so honest a fellow, and withal... So much younger than I am, I will tell thee that which I have told to no man in all the world before, and thus thou mayest learn never again to do such a foolish thing as to trust to beggar's garb to guard thee against Robin Hood. Seest thou these clogs upon my feet? Yea, quoth Robin, laughing, truly they are large enough for any man to see, even were his sight as foggy as that of Peter Patter, who never could see it when it was time to go to work. Peace, friend, said the corn and grocer, for this is no matter of jesting. The souls of these clogs are not what they seem to be, for each one is a sweet little box. And by twisting the second nail from the toe, the upper of the shoe and part of the sole lifts up like a lid, and in the spaces wherein are four score and ten bright golden pounds in each shoe, all wrapped in hair to keep them from clinking, so 
tell, and so telling tales of themselves. When the corn and grocer had told this, Robin broke into a roar. Pick up his shoes. They're super heavy, I'm sure. <laughs> they would be suspicious. And they would just, like, throw the shoes or something. Then the corn and grocer, or when the corn and grocer had told this, Robin broke into a roar of laughter and, laying his hands upon the bridle rein, stopped the sad-looking nag. Stay, good friend, quoth he, between bursts of merriment. Thou art the slyest old fox that I e'er saw in my, all my life, e'er ever saw in all my life. In the soles of his shoon, quotha, quotha, quotha. If ever I trust a poor seeming man again, shave my head and paint it blue. A corn factor, a horse jockey, an estate agent, and a jackdaw for cunningness, say I. And he laughed again till he shook in his shoes with mirth. All this time the corn and grocer had been staring at Robin, his mouth agape with wonder. Art thou mad, quoth he, to talk in this way, so loud and in such a place? Let us forward, does he figure that the merry men are around? Let us forward and save thy mirth till we are safe and sound at Newark. Nay, quoth Robin, the tears of merriment wet on his cheeks. On second thoughts I go no farther than here, for I have good friends hereabouts. Thou mayest go forward if thou do uh, dost list, thou sweet pretty fellow. Uh, but thou must go forward barefoot, for I am afraid that thy shoon must be left behind. Off with them, friend, for I tell thee I have taken a great fancy to them. At these words, the corn factor. <laughs> I don't know if this is a typo in the edition, but it literally says, at these words, the corn factor grew pale as a linen napkin. <laughs> um, and it doesn't have it proper case. Who art thou that talkest so? said he. I'm freaking robin hood of course why did you trust me then merry robin laughed again and quoth he men hereabouts call me robin hood so sweet friend thou hast um, best to do my bidding and give me thy shoes uh, wherefore hasten i pray thee or else thou wilt not get to fair newark town till after dark at the sound of the name robin hood the corn factor corn and grocer I, whatever quaked with fear <sighs> Um, so that he had to seize his horse by the mane to save himself from falling off its back. Then straight away, without more word, or and without more words, he stripped off his clogs and let them fall upon the road. Robin, still holding the bridle rein, stooped and picked them up. Then he said, "Sweet friend, I am used to, I am used to ask those that I have dealings with to come and feast at Sherwood with me. I will not ask thee because of our pleasant journey together, for I tell thee there be those in Sherwood that would not be so gentle with thee as I have been. The name of corn and grocer uh, leaves a nasty taste upon the tongue of all honest men. Take a fool's advice from me and come n no more so nigh to Sherwood, or mayhap some day thou mayest of a sudden find a cloth-yard shaft betwixt thy ribs." So with this, I give thee good den. Her er, hereupon he clapped his hands uh, to the horse's flank, and off went nag and rider. Uh, the man's face was all bedewed, bedewed, like covered in dew. He's sweating profusely. Bedewed with the sweat of fret. Well, yeah, there we go. And never again, I wot, was he found so close to Sherwood Forest as he had been this day. Uh, Robin stood and he needs guards or something. Robin stood and looked after him, and when he was fairly gone, turned, laughing, and entered the forest carrying the shoes in his hand. That night in sweet Sherwood the red fires glowed brightly, in wavering light on tree and bush, and all sat or and all around sat or lay the stout fellows of the band to hear Robin Hood and Little John tell of their advent or tell their adventures, not of. Um, all listened closely, and again and again the woods rang with shouts of laughter. 
when all was told, Friar Tuck spoke up. Good master, said he, thou hast, thou hast had a pretty time, but still I hold to my saying that the life of a barefoot friar is the merrier of the two. Nay, quoth Will Stutely, I hold with our master that he hath had the pleasanter doings of the two, for he hath had two stout bouts at quarterstaff this day. So some of the band held with Robin Hood and some with Little John. As for me, I think, but I leave it with you to say for yourselves which you hold with. That it really... It's like, as for me, I think... And then it, like, trails off, I guess. But I leave it to you to say for yourselves. Something like that. I don't know which one had a better time. Yeah, <laughs> They both had fun, right? <laughs> Thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly.